Welcome to the PH Journals podcast, where we explore hunting, wildlife management, and conservation. As hunters and conservationists, we know that hunting can be a powerful tool for wildlife conservation, generating revenue and promoting healthy ecosystems. Join us as we explore the latest research, interviewing experts and practitioners, and sharing stories from the field. Whether you're a hunter or conservationist, or simply interested in learning more about this somewhat controversial topic. Hi, my name is Dylan Love. I'm a professional hunter out of the southern tip of the dark continent. Join us as I believe hunting is our best conservation tool we have to offer. Yeah, getting ready to go out. I'll probably go out around about four, past four. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Um, yes, what an up and down couple of weeks. Jeez, uh, a couple of days actually um, since I released the podcast two day, the second last podcast um, about the awkward question about whether professional hunting is still worth it or not. Um, yeah, it's a question that I, I haven't really enjoyed answering and because I don't think I've got the right answers for it, but like everything in life, you know, you kind of understand the fact that if it's your passion and it's really something you want to do, you're going to make it work regardless. You know, your perception of success and, um, you know, what it takes to make it in the industry all changes once you find your passion and your niche and something that you pretty much like a calling, I would say it is. But uh, yeah, what a what a bunch of couple of weeks. I mean, it's it's been crazy answering and having conversations with different guys. I mean, I'm really am blessed for everyone that has interacted with me on that sort of topic. Um, like I said, it hasn't been the easiest one to answer, but one that I just hope I kind of shared some sort of light um, on it. So yeah, very very cool couple of weeks, but interesting and uh, crazy at, at sometimes, you know. But um, yeah, guys, those of you that follow me on social media, you guys would see that uh, I offered the, I opened it up to the floor for guys to have any questions that they feel need answering, answered on a podcast. So what a what a great couple of, of questions that have come through. I mean, the interactions I've had from phone calls to voice notes to messages to everything, you know, um, just interactions on the street. Um, Guys calling me from Canada, America, the UK, uh, Spain, you know, so many interesting conversations. It's really been something special. So um, I decided, well, you know, obviously I'm not going to have a podcast that's long enough to answer every single question. So, I'll, you know, every now and then I'll probably just answer these questions. I've, I've, I've taken them down, myself and the team, we've sort of split them up, um, kind of expecting to an- kind of answer two an episode obviously not every episode will be answering questions um but every now and then when we get the opportunity run out of ideas to talk about these questions will come up and we'll answer them to the best of our ability so if you have sent in questions firstly i just want to say thank you so much um and secondly stay tuned because you never know some of your guys questions might be answered so the very first question, and only if you guys want to want your names mentioned and stuff, please just make sure that you highlight it to myself or any one of my team members, because I feel that it's so important um, to either keep you guys anonymous or really just to share your guys' personal opinions. So to play it safe, uh, the next two questions that I'll be answering on this very podcast um, will be completely anonymous. 
until listed otherwise. But um, before we get into it, guys, just obviously just a massive thank you to everyone that supported me thus far. The podcast two two episodes ago, the one about answering the questions, has reached completely new heights. And I think it's safe to say, um, it's such a special time for me to say this, is that this is probably the number one po- hunting podcast in the whole of Africa, and, and never alone South Africa as well. Um, if you go on Podcast Live and all that sort of stuff, the, the rankings are all there. And uh, I'm forever grateful. Uh, thank you so much to everyone for all the support. Um, our downloads have reached an all-time record. So, yeah, without you guys, honestly, this would not be possible. And then, of course, to everyone that has supported me, Splitting Image, Taxidermy, Magnum Archery, Scully's, Maxis, Treason, um, PH Toolbox, everyone across the board. If I've left everyone out, FFS Outdoors, thank you so much, guys. This is really we're reaching new hearts, and I couldn't have done this without you guys. And I honestly, honestly am grateful for everything you guys do for me. So, <clears throat> to get into the question, um, an interesting one, and I'm not going to say it hasn't happened to me, but uh, just to highlight the fact that I probably haven't paid too much notice to it, although I, I do think it had a massive impact in my career growing up. Um so yeah, let's just chat about it. So it says the message starts off as such. Uh, good day, PH Journals. Thank you so much for allowing all of us the opportunity to ask you certain questions. I know you have been in the industry for some time now, and this is most important to me. If you don't mind, I have one question to ask you or any advice you may give on a specific topic. I found myself b- being disheartened when I approached an Elam bull that we had been asked to hunt a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago for a specific outfitter. I looked over my shoulder to my client and his body and facial expressions was anything but that of excitement and joy. I feel that I had let him down <clears throat> or underdelivered on the animal, even though I knew in my own heart it was a great bull to take. To say the least, our safari for the next four days was uncomfortable. I found myself heading into stalks uncertain, and I had no confidence in myself. We ended the safari with no wounded animals and some really old and unique trophies. The client said he had a, a great time, but I can't help but feel the expected he expected more out of me and my hunting capabilities. Have you encountered such feelings? or awkward situations, and if so, how did you deal with them? My career has just started, and I don't want to discourage myself for the rest of my life, or for the rest of my career, sorry. Love the podcast and appreciate all you do for the industry, conservation, and our fellow PHs. So guys, yeah, um, you, you know, I, I can't say I'm surprised by a question like this because I think it happens more often than not. Um, and especially, we, we picked this question because it leads into the next question that was asked. But we'll get into that a little bit later. So to answer this question, of course, I find myself in these awkward situations where you kind of feel like you've under-delivered on certain animals. And this is the risk, um, not the risk, but this is... This is the unfortunate part of the industry because we are held to some sort of accountability when it comes to trophies. Now, when I was doing my podcast, I mean, my professional hunting course, 
The gentleman that took me, Uncle Chappie Scott, I mean, he's been in the industry for, for many, many decades. Um, he was one of the first South African outfitters to attend the SER Dallas Safari Club um, exhibition shows. And just an incredible human being, and I learned so much from him. He always said to us, he said, we all know that the correct answer when asked what is a trophy, that the correct answer is the eye of the beholder. But when it comes to presentation, legal aspects, pen and paper, black and white, we know that that cannot be the correct answer as far as political, politically correct. It has to be a certain size. It has to be of certain age. There are so many different numbers. It's got to reach some sort of certain measurement. There are so many different criteria that distinguish what a trophy is by book and a trophy is by conservation, hunter, professional hunter, and outfitter. So when you have so many aspects in this thing, there's some sort of unwritten expectation of gentlemen coming out that call themselves trophy hunters. And, and there's not many of them out there. It really isn't. I mean, like I said, I've been in this industry for some time now. For gentlemen to come out um, from overseas to our beautiful country to have an expect expectation of record books, there's not many of them out there. There are some, and it's unfortunate because it takes away from the aspect of conservation, really what we are out there to do, and that's preserve, conserve, and look after our wildlife. And the way we do that is through trophy hunting. Because, in my opinion, trophy hunting should be the biggest, oldest um, bull, ram, whatever it may be out there. Because, you know, taking those guys out looks after the herd for future generations to come. Because it allows the younger blood to come through and filter their genetics through the herd. And make sure that the herd is built stronger, can handle diseases, uh, cold droughts, rainy, um, thundering conditions, opposed to those that are the weaker side of things, the smaller, um, delicate animals that won't be able to sustain such harsh conditions. Because you want to make sure that the herd is the best possible genetics there are out there to preserve them for future generations to come. So this kind of ties into the fact, and I think the point I'm trying to get at is that when a trophy hunter comes out with an expectation of a certain size of animal, it's a very, very risky one to, to handle. And although I know I've seen it so many times before, um, especially when it came to the earlier parts of the, before the whole sable breeding explosion, let's call it. When we were hunting back, I'm going from about 2007 to 2012, if we were shooting sable that were 35 to 37 inches, it was a good sable bull for our area. It really was. It was classified as a trophy. It was a unique one. I mean, you look at the, the record books today, I think still Roland Ward um, is 41 or 42 inches. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, that, that, that's a very, very nice sable bull. But as the years went on, the certain expectations kind of fell away. And there's no one to blame for this other than outfitters 
and hunters that expect certain sizes. You find that these these sable bulls, and even still up till today, I mean, you've got guys shooting 51-inch sable bulls in enclosures no bigger than 10, 15 acres that are being fed game pellets, dog pellets to increase the size, taking their their nuts out so the testosterone can increase. You know, there's just so many different things that these guys are doing to increase the sizes. And so, you know, there's, there's so many ways we can point. But what, what it did is... When we went over, I'll never forget, we went over to the shows in 2015. We put out Sable prices, uh, special, Sable special, $5,000. And there was no size added to that. As time went on, Sable Bull, 36 inches to 40 inches, $2,000. 40 inches and above, $5,000. And more time went on, Sable Bull, 41 to 45 inches, Two and a half thousand dollars, forty-six to fifty inches, five and a half thousand dollars. So we generated that expectation of size on that specific animal. Now it's hard to answer a question like this to see whether the the gentleman was disheartened by the size of the animal. You know, it could be of his experience of the stalk. Um, or it just could be that he just showed lack of emotion because when you shoot an animal that big, it's very, very overwhelming when you come up to it. Your body kind of, your emotions kind of don't really know how to react. But I'll never forget, it was a gentleman, he became a good friend of mine. And unfortunately, as time went on, we've kind of just haven't stayed in connection or communication. And we've kind of lost that communication between one another. But he came over with the president that he wanted a 40 inch sable bull. Unfortunately, you know, we got the oldest bull that was available at the time, the oldest, he was good, he had massive mass at the bottom of his horns. Um, deteriorating condition uh, I mean he had no teeth left at all so his genetics were just of that of that sort of that size <clears throat> shot it got it down and the first thing he did before the animal was even skinned was whip out his measuring tape measured it and it was 37 37 and a half inches whatever it may be and immediately I could see the emotion just sort of drain away from him and as a professional hunter, that was heartbreaking for me to watch because, yeah, I am ecstatic because we had, you know, I knew he was coming out. I had watched this bull for some time. And especially when the start of the, before the start of the season, I had watched how in, in perfect condition his body was, was and how it deteriorated as the winter, winter started um, taking its toll on him. And for me, I mean, I was young in my, my career, and we had such a great relationship and, and and just to watch the life sort of seep through him was hard for me to accept. Um, it didn't, at, at that time, I think I kind of felt or found myself questioning my, I don't know if instinct is the right word, but questioning myself whether this was the correct choice of animal to take or whether I should have just told him to pass it up on his hands completely and wait for the next year to come and you know maybe there would have been a better bull in the situation but I knew that that I had it in my heart that that wasn't conservation 
conservation was making sure that this animal didn't suffer any more than what it was. And although he had already been pushed out from the herd, he was completely isolated. He was all alone. Um, and like I said, deteriorating condition. Um, at some point, we would have had to start feeding him. You know, he was just not going to make it any further. And I found myself conflicted between the fact of whether I had pleased the client enough or had, uh, had I done enough for conservation. And I didn't, you know, in the moment, I didn't kind of think too much of the situation, although I could see that it was an uncomfortable one for him to swallow because it's not what he wanted. <clears throat> but as time went on and as discussions happened in the back here, in the pickup, I kind of get the impression that he was sitting there and acknowledging what my intentions were for the industry and for me as a professional hunter. And I think as as he kind of grew to knew, know me, it sort of he sort of inherited those same values and morals and his perception on size of the animal sort of slowly shifted away. And just through discussions in lodge in the lodge that night and the next day, you know, I could slowly see him starting to warm up to the fact that, you know, this was a prime, a great animal to take. This this was a trophy because he had it more in his discussions. He was showing people photos of the teeth, the size of the base of the horns, you know. So I really saw him start investing in that that's what we need to share. So to answer the question is kind of different, but one that you need to consider. So no, don't be uncertain in yourself. If you know you're going out there with the correct intentions and those intentions are to look after, preserve, conserve and look after our herd for future generations to come, well, then you're already winning. You need to make sure that those passions for conservation, that that passion for conservation filters into those clients and understand that that's what it's all about for South Africa. Because that's the special part. And then for the rest of the question, like I said, it's very difficult for me to gauge whether he was disheartened by the size of the animal or the experience of the stalk. And this is why I say that, you know, gentlemen that use the baki <clears throat> for their own pleasure, and that's the way they do hunting, although there is a space for that in the industry, just be very, very careful because ground shrinkage, once once you're hunting off a baki, you've got nothing else to back yourself up on. You can't say, oh, well, we had a wonderful stalk, you know, we saw this, we saw that, or we, we crept up to the, there's no story behind it. You're just shooting this animal that's dropping and that's it. And when you get there, if he's disappointed with the animal, he's disappointed with the animal and not the stalk, not the experience. So pride yourself on sharing the experience, sharing the whole story going up to that animal. Because then you'll find the more you do that, the more you focus on that, the less size actually matters. And, you know, for the rest of your career... <clears throat> There's this fine line that gets drawn in the sand amongst PHs between arrogance and confidence. 
I always say you'll see a great PH that has confidence in his own abilities by the time he spends after the shot. Because that is such a critical factor between the relationship of the animal and the professional hunter. And the reason why I say that is because the respect is shown afterwards. As much as it's shown in the stalk, the respect is shown just as much after the shot. Taking time to take the photos, respecting the animal, making sure the animal is glowing in all its glory, you know, understanding the shot placement, the care of the animal, you know, making sure that the animal doesn't get hair slip. If it's a hot day, gutting it, making sure that the guts are put away correctly and that the skin isn't going to be chafed or heat up, wetting it, making sure that the, the skin stays cool so there's no hair slip for the trophy or anything like that. And just really respecting that animal afterwards. The guy that has arrogance on his side, you'll see, will often just tell you to grab the head of the animal and take a couple of photos, smash it in the back of the back here, and that's it. Done. Done and dusted. There's no experience to that. There's no acknowledgement to that. There's no appreciation for that animal giving its life to not only you and to many, many other people out there. There's no appreciation. And that's why I say there's a fine line. Because somebody who's confident in his ability will take the time out to make sure that he'll spend enough time to honor that animal. Arrogance will not do that. And the minute you question is in... Um, you question whether that was the right... He'll always have some smirky or, or arrogant comment about it. So yeah, guys, it's such a, such a special question because, <clears throat> you know, it, it brings me back into those days where I get to reminisce these, these opportunities that came out. And, you know, when, when, when I read this question... I kind of pulled up that those photos of that sable story and just going back on it and remembering the the butterflies are filling fall to my stomach and the the confusion at the time i think that's the correct word for um you know there was there was so much confusion around it because I, yeah i am i'm so stoked i'm jumping up and the minute he measures this animal <clears throat> like i didn't care whether he measured it or not but you know, he whipped out his tape as quickly as he could, measured it 37 and a half inches. Oh, this is not. And then just watching the laugh drain out of him was kind of gave me like a like a cold feeling inside. Because you do question your ability. You do question your ethics. You question your very existence. But it is what it is. And um yeah, like I said, there's just so many different aspects to it. Um, but yeah, that's it, guys, for the first question. Second question um, <laughs> was asked in Afrikaans. Um, so, excuse me, I did have to try and really simplify and break it down into English. So if, if, if I've misinterpreted this anyway or anyhow, well, then... Um, <laughs> uh, please excuse me so the next question was um, 
Hello, PH Journals. Uh, let's just get into it here quickly. Um, is it how, how do we handle a certain situation when the client is telling you what and how to stalk an animal, even though he's never been here before, or if he has been here before and hunted with other professional hunters? I constantly find myself getting repeated clients coming over that have hunted with other outfitters in the past and other professional hunters, and I always find myself comparing myself to these professional hunters or outfitters. Is this normal? And how can I counteract it? So pretty much what we've just basically touched on is that believe in your own inability. You know, for me, my very good friend, I mean, he's been on this podcast so many times, or Pat Dugan, he said to me, he said, you know, the thing thing about PH journals or Tundle Safaris, PH Toolbox, whatever it is, is that you 75% experience 25% hunting. And that hit home to me because... I do, I do focus on experience a lot more. So not everyone is going to give the client the same sort of experience. Make it special for him. And, and like I said in, in so many other podcasts before this is that you, when the industry gets busy as, ha- as what it has been over the past two years, you kind of find yourself missing out on the basics. And one of the basics is treat every client like it's their first time coming out to South Africa. And although they'll say to you, oh, yeah, oh, but I've seen a warthog hole before, um, or yes, 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 I know this is impala droppings or whatever, still do it. Go through the motions. Treat it like it's the first, because somewhere along the line is going to start appreciating that a lot more. And, you know, like I mentioned last, I think it was the last podcast where I mentioned where, um, Sharon, Sharon Watson, it was it was such a unique experience, her stopping me and saying, well, you know, that's something you're overlooking, and there was a little hoopoo in the tree, and she stopped and took photos, and, you know, so it's smaller things that I've started taking into account in my career, and showing the people, and not to say that, that I'm, I'm comparing myself to the previous guy, and he didn't do that, not to say that, but just to try and teach that this is the moment now. They're not always going to compare you as a professional hunter, as an individual. They're not going to compare you to anyone else if they're having a good time. And and that's the special thing. And it's unfortunate because this, this is a reality in the industry. is because there are so many guys out there, outfitters, professional hunters, that want to take chances. They want to make a quick buck. And they don't care how they get there. They don't care how many feet or... Um, toes they step on to achieve these sort of things and that's the hard part is because if one person's had a bad experience they're definitely going to compare you to the previous guy but that that's perfect because that sets the bar very very low and if you just stick to your basics stick to your criteria and stick to your calling and your reasoning behind why you're a professional hunter it will set you apart from many many individuals that are out there so guys from my side, you know, I am so proud to be a professional hunter and I get to get to share my stories with the rest of the world because there's a lot of people that don't know these sort of things out there in the industry. And it's always, it's it's so heartwarming to see guys have such a great time when they come out to our country with different 
um, personalities that are out there. I mean, there's a good friend of mine. He's a he's a wonderful PH. I really he's he's a great great PH when he was a youngster coming through. I mean, me and him have spent a lot of time together. We often have a lot of phone calls. Um, Hannes Fulion he's just finished a, a hunt now with Sean, <clears throat> where they travelled the Karoo, um, and they went up to Namibia. And what what a special moment that those guys shared. And captivated you know they they had me on the edge of my seats every single time i saw their posts and it was just something i really really admired and like i said hannes just does something so different and he's just such a great lad to be around that you know his personality really captivated that hunt and that's what you've got to rely on you know you've got to you've got to take that into consideration that build the relationship with your clients because at the end of the day, it's not just the client. You want it to become a friendship at the end of the safari. And that's an important point. You need it to become a friendship at the end of the safari. And everything else will fall into place. Then you don't find yourself next time they come out comparing yourself to the last guy. I mean, there's often times I joke with old Pat because <clears throat> he had a terrible experience with Louis Lottegen. Yeah, in South Africa. <laughs> you know, you often, oh, well, I remember this farm every time we drive past this. I said, well, then just, just go and hunt with him. You know, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'll never want to hunt with that guy again. And water, water, water. So, you know, those are just, it's just different aspects of, um, he's out of business now. He's, he's, he's stopped being in the industry for some time now. So it's, it's all good and well to joke about it. But, you know, that's just it. You know, now we've built up such a great relationship. I mean, I, I call him family now, and we get to joke about these bad experiences because he's having a good experience now, and that's the key. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, guys, and, you know, that's the thing. If you're not having fun, if you're not absorbing it and taking it in and, and realizing that, that this is not just business, this is not just money, this is a lifestyle. It's your passion. It's what drives you. And you'll find by answering these questions to yourself, there's no reason for you not to make a success of this great industry. And it is great. It's great at the moment because there's so many guys doing wonderful things out there. And hats off to all the professional hunters with the correct morals, values, and ethics. I've seen some wonderful posts on um Instagrams, Facebook, social media, really, it's, it's something so, so special that there's so many great professional hunters out there taking their job seriously and with passion. And um, I'm very, very proud as a professional hunter to represent those guys to the world. And uh, yeah, it's such a unique experience. So guys, um, yeah, once again, just a massive thank you to everyone that sent in these questions. Um, next week podcast won't be on these questions hopefully I'll have a couple of guests in studio uh, if not in studio on Skype um, but we're growing we're growing and I'm, I'm loving these sessions and uh, once again just to everyone who's made this possible thank you so much guys really um, all the downloads the likes shares follows <clears throat> it really it means a lot to me and it, it makes such a massive difference and once again thank you to all my sponsors we'll list them now at the end of the podcast and um yeah i see the wind's dying down it's a beautiful day here in the eastern cape chilly i'm gonna go and throw my trees and camo on my ghillie suit 
head out into the bush and hopefully grab some meat for the freezer. But guys, if you are, happy hunting. Until then, stay safe, stay blessed, stay humble. We'll catch up with you guys soon. Cheers for now. The Journal is brought to you by Treason. Don't just blend, become. Splitting Image Taxidermy. Worth remembering. Maxis Tires. Covering pHs over any terrain. Magnum Archery. Scullies. The little things are what makes life wonderful. Vanandi Blends. Changing the game. FFS Outdoor. Versatile gear for any situation. PH Toolbox. Helping you make your own adventure.